0: Greetings and welcome to Office Hours. If you are new here and you want to learn a little bit more about what we do, head over to officehours.global. Our first hour, we answer your questions on media and digital productions. And our second hour is something that we typically want to spend a little bit more time on. And today, we'll be talking about artificial intelligence, AI, and how we're using that in our content creation process. And speaking of process, it's time for us to get the show started, Bill.
1: Our first question this morning comes from Andy Kokendorfer in Vera, Florida. And Andy wonders, what equipment and setup would you suggest for a small group, eight to ten people, in a hotel breakout room collaborating with others on Zoom? And he notes the emphasis is on audio quality.
0: Thanks. Jason.
2: Might be a little bit too elaborate, but I would say sure Goosenecks and um, Sure makes an auto mixer that's pretty good. And then maybe share one very large television so that everyone can see Zoom and um, you know, mute and unmute themselves uh, when appropriate.
0: Go ahead, Alex.
3: Yeah, it's 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 hard. <laughs> it depends on the hotel room as well. Hotel rooms actually tend to be better than conference rooms. They tend to have more carpet, they tend to have better things on the walls. And so uh, depending on the room, you may actually have a, a slightly better time. But if the, if the room's too small, you may end up with a lot of echo um, that's, that's there. That, that'll that be really the challenge that you have. Uh, goosenecks I think are a great suggestion um, if you're gonna have uh, eight or 10 people there. Of course, we've done ones where we hand around a couple mics where people can use those the SM58s. Uh, either, you, usually wireless becomes a little less messy um, to do that, if you don't use, if you use webcams, uh, the one thing to know, and you're bringing the audio in directly, the audio, if you're not delaying audio going into the computer, the the echo, echo cancellation will will mostly work. <laughs> so it's it's not, you know, like you want you can test that and try to figure that out. The other thing you can do is uh, if you're going to start building a, a bigger system, what you're going to want to do is use a Dugan Auto Mix and have. The, the two things that are competing, the online and the in room mics, so that's what you put those into buses and you have them going back and forth um, because that way when the online person's talking, it pushes the the in- room mics down. when the in- room's talking, it pushes the online mics down. Um, it takes a lot of tuning to do that um, and uh, there's only a few people in the world that I have do that for me, so uh, it does that that can be done and we and we do do it on higher end events. Um, but the audio will be the biggest challenge. Uh, giving everybody a mic is the best way to do it, and sometimes it's not practical. Um, so uh, and this is where, by the way, something like a, um, the Microflex from Shure works really well. Is you can give everybody, you know, little headsets with the little with, with little in ear. So the 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 thing that the to look at is mic Microflex by Shure has both in ear and mic inputs in it. So it's got a it's got the T I, I believe it's a TA four, which is the the Shure uh, input and a headset mic. So you can give everybody, if you really want to go crazy, you could give everybody a little headset mic, as well as, um, it has a mic in it, but you can put it that, and then give them their own in-ear. That would be a great solution. And the MicroFlex will, um, you can just plug them all in, hit program, it'll just set them all up, it it connects wirelessly, and then transports that via Dante back. So if you really wanted to take it to the next level, that's probably the way I would go um, to, to make that actually work. It would feel like a lot of wires and people would complain because that's what they do. But then after they did it a couple of times, they'd be like, this is the best interaction with people on Zoom that I've ever had. So that'd be something I'd suggest.
0: And Courtney, you wanna add something?
3: I'd just worry about all the monitoring cables and such. I would
4: probably put the remote people that are coming in from Zoom on an open speaker somewhere and make sure you turn on the, you know let Zoom manage the anti-feedback Mix minus for that particular channel and then put everybody else, as Alex said, on auto mix. Uh, and that feed goes into Zoom uh, as a as probably a single feed. And then maybe you could have a switcher with deciding on video, which side of the room you're going to shoot. I wouldn't get it too complex with, you know, 10, 10 webcams, 10
3: microphones, oh, 10, you know, I, I, 10 I uh, in-ear headsets. And and by the way, I'm not suggesting having 10, 10 webcams, but I am suggesting okay. having ten headsets. <laughs> so yes. so the, uh, wow. the 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 thing we've done lots of those. I mean, you can have two, you can have up to two of the Microflexes run pretty pretty effectively, and they're really easy to manage. That's the big thing. Um, again, if people were, if you're talking about being serious about it working, I will tell you, the end of many meetings has been open open speakers and open mics. Like that is the you know, like I have watched other people do jobs that I bid on. I watch those just to see how they turned out and. Usually there's this this echoing that goes on and you can see it in the in the people in Zoom because their eyes open up or they start talking really slow because they're hearing themselves back. It rarely works well. Like, <laughs> like it's, 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 a rare, it's a rare occurrence that it works super well. You can try it, but it'll only work if you're using SM58s and or something like them and only work if they hold them close up. If, if you give them labs or give them some kind of uh, area mics or something like that, you're gonna get echo or it's gonna just sound chunky. Um, as it as it just digs into that into that process, so I, I I'd be careful with that. What I would do for the cameras, by the way, is um, if you have set p- places for people to sit, I would put the camera pre-program two or three PTZ cameras, and then what you do is you just push the number of where the person is, and those cameras zoom to where they need to go. Um, and you can do it with two really effectively. Uh, one is okay, but you'll hear you'll see the zooming. Uh, if you do two of them, it'll move and then cut, move and then cut, move and then cut, and it works pretty well. And you you can actually put it in a horseshoe and stick them right in that, at the end of that horseshoe so that everyone's kinda, it can see everybody, not quite from the center, but kind of over and those two cameras will, one has one half and the other has the other half, and it it works, you know, it's better than the the, the best alternative, which is to put everybody in Zoom.
5: And Javier and uh just to add i think it's very important when you have people inside like a real like a virtual like a sort of like a physical room and other people in zoom that whoever's leaving the the meeting is keeping like a, a tight pace and knows when to uh to stop like side table side discussions that won't be heard from the people from the other side because i had uh one time this kind of situation and the way we, we we solved it was having like an audio engineer doing the mixing like on the on the site and that helped a lot for like the audio going out was clean but when two people get their mute their their mics muted they start talking like side by side and that that's not going to be heard on the other side so when you have like these hybrid situations you have to be very tight when leading the the meetings and alex
3: final thing i'll say is that interacting i mean i've done this for a year for over a decade having the live audience and the online audience interacting with each other is you know, it's it is a high risk maneuver. You just need to know that it's high risk maneuver. The payoff is very low, and uh, there's just not a lot of ROI there. You know, like so. So just just always think about it really hard as to, as to whether you really need to do that, um, because it's it does take people and expertise and things, or it will not turn out well. And most people underinvest, and then they end up with uh, you know a lot of splat on the wall. So just that's something to keep in mind.
0: Next question. Claw
1: Lopez Waterman in Brevard, North Carolina, Brevard, North Carolina says, Ken, so nice to see you on office hours. Would you please give us an overview of AI and
6: YouTube shorts?
0: Agreed, Ken. Hi.
6: Uh yes, so well. <clears throat> it's changed quite a lot for us in the last six days. Um the process we now use. We'll talk more about this thing in more detail in the second hour. So you have to stay tuned for our second hour on AI. Um, But just quickly, um, we now use um, Opus Pro. um, And what used to take us hours now takes minutes, if not seconds, it is, um, it's phenomenal on how quickly it produces um, YouTube shorts. If I was building an application to do this, and we have built some we've used AI before to do this, this is the program that I would build. It covers every aspect of what you want to put in a YouTube short, but as I said we'll talk more about that in detail in the second hour. but Opus is the, uh, is the program to use now.
0: We are looking forward to that share and the backstory as well. Next question.
1: Tim Holmes in San Lorenzo, California is up next. What is your most fun media production project? Why was it successful and why was it so satisfying to you? Jason?
2: Mm, Okay, there are a lot of them, but uh, the one that comes to mind is the first FAA-sanctioned drone event we, we did an air show and we were actually allowed to be, so when, when you have an air show, there's an air box, right? That's all the way across, um, you know, where the seating is. And then there are two air boxes, almost like end zones. And we were allowed to put drones up in either side. And it was a tremendous amount of work. And, um, and the payout was just all the fascination and all the really cool questions that we got, uh, you know, before, during, and after.
0: Go ahead, Sky.
2: I, this one's hard. So to Jason's, you
7: know, choosing one, I will, I will, um, I will say the rocket launch. And again, it was not a financial success, but when John said, Hey, we're going to do something. And everybody said, that's impossible. And the other half of the people said, I'll take that on. And they bit into it. And the community that was created, the, the interaction that, that again, creating something uh using my creativity meeting people for the first time in person met bill for the first time drove up from san diego to las vegas up there and so to to be creative with others now economically it may not have been a success but but i i did meet jeff keithley in person and have consequently worked for him so there there was a longer roi in in that so that that's one of my a uh, few things that, again, if, if fun is the qualifier, that was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work.
0: And Mitchell?
8: Tim, that's a big ask because I've been around a long time. Uh, but I would say the most fun I ever had on a project was in the mid-'80s at the peak of multi, multi-image multi production. That's when we used to use uh, carousel slide projectors controlled by a computer uh, to do these extremely widescreen programs. And we were doing a show called the art uh, of uh, hair and fashion uh, at the Grand Opera House in Wilmington. I had this big soundtrack sound, uh, associated with it. And one of the funny bits in it that, that just gave me a chuckle, and they didn't tell me they had done it, is we were experimenting with uh, high-speed uh, photography to shoot actual animation on a slideshow, maybe about 10 or 15 frames per second. And um, I uh, was giving direction to the, uh, to the model and apparently, my uh, spin and subsequent uh, bow uh, ended up in the show. So it was just kind of fun. But those were the days big soundtracks, wide screen projection, and the sound of 30 projectors going pretty amazing.
0: That sounds so awesome. We need to do like a uh, throwback show or something to, for that kind of technology to, to share that with the rest of us. Courtney?
4: Yeah, I remember the sound of 30 projectors changing slides at the same time. Yeah, mine also goes back to the uh, 80s, like 1983. <clears throat> I used to work as a production sound mixer on a lot of documentaries. And we did this one for the BBC called Master Photographers. And we got to spend uh, four days at uh, with Ansel Adams at his house in Carmel go out shooting uh shooting stills with ansel and working in this dark room and it was a three-man crew with a producer so it was great i mean his wife served us lunch and in, in his uh, dining room and uh, he played the, the piano for us it was great uh that was one of and and there were several you know documentaries that i worked on with a lot of famous people that those those memories will last forever i'll
0: go ahead bill
1: So I was thinking of the word fun, and there was a couple that were leading candidates, but I think I'm going to settle on a a pro bono project. And I always thought to myself in the early days, if I can keep a couple of slots for pro bono and not have a client looking over my shoulder, I'll have more fun with it. And I did one decades ago for a wildlife rehabilitation group here in in Arizona where I was living called Liberty Wildlife. And the, the volunteer corps was fabulous, and we had a lot of very connected people. So I ended up one day out on the Superstition Mountains on a dusty road with a 100-foot crane with my camera on my shoulder watching the release of rehabilitated hawks and falcons and things like that. And I'll just never forget two things about that, one, the absolute beauty of sitting there on top of that crane looking out over the superstitions and thinking, how many people get to do this? Then the other thing was a kind of a creative awakening for me. I came back, and we had done a bunch of interviews with people. And I'm a voice talent, so I do a lot of voice work. And so remember that old phrase, when the tool you have is a hammer, every problem starts to look like a nail? Anytime I had a problem with a program, I could talk my way out of it by writing some narration and put it in there. This was the first project where, as I went through all my footage, I realized, wait, he said that, and she said that, and somebody else said that. Can I not do any narration and just tell the story through the actualities? And I was able to do that. And it just changed all my thinking. I stopped relying on my crutch and I tried to let the people in the program tell the stories. And for me, that was
3: transformative. So I always
1: remember that one really,
3: really big time. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I I think that... Um... There's, I think, when I think about fun, I think of different things. <laughs> so, so that I think that, you know, for for me, uh, one of them we did we did a we did a live stream with John Stewart where he was. Uh, we built this little rig that he had to sit, so he was chest up in a in like this little opening with a whole bunch of puppies. It was about a pup, more puppies a fundraiser, and so he had all these little puppies running around, and it's John Stewart, so he's really funny. And so he's just telling jokes, but he gets like we get we get comments coming in, and his wife his wife puts a comment into into the into the show that says if you don't come home with one of the without one of those puppies, don't come home at all. (laughs) So it was like one of those things. So the two of them were playing off of it. It was a lot of we had we so I think we got a lot of laughs out of it. I think the one that I was that I really enjoyed the most probably um, because I had a little more time to plan it was we did a um, a three sixty shoot multi camera three sixty shoot. In uh, outside of Budapest um, for the Mars, there's a com- there's a National Geographic TV show called Mars that was kind of a drama, uh, or is a drama, and um, I uh, and we did five cameras of 360. And what was really fun about it was you're really talking to the set designers and you're going from one place to the other and you can look around while they're talking. You know, while the- and people are able to ask questions. And I think that I felt like that was one that like oh that'd be really good. We should do this all the time where you go to sets and you get. You know, it was it was fun, and we had a great crew, so it was very, um, so it wasn't very stressful for me. I mostly scanned things; I didn't really have to worry about it. And I think that I, I enjoyed. I think I, I, definitely enjoy enjoy shows a lot more when I have a highly skilled crew that is plenty for the show that is all there. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it just means that I'm not, I'm not stressed about trying to get things done. So I think that that was part of what made it made it fun as well.
0: And to add to this, this pot of richness, for me, it would have been about 10 years ago, we got an opportunity to, to pitch and actually like the King Center, um, which is Atlanta, the Center for Nonviolence, not I always get this non, nonviolent social change. And in January, they do the salute to greatness. And it awards different people in the community and corporate um, entities as well. And so they were looking to really connect with a younger demographic. So just coming in and coming up with an idea that, and this is like early days, I would say, of just influencers and then also live streaming. So to be able to Bring a team together where we had someone who was doing Twitter and and really replicating, you know, what you see on the on the award shows, like making that something like tangible. Because as many of you know, you might have an idea that you pitch and you like you know it's going to work because you've done it before, but then for the client or for the organization, it's something new for them. So just the energy of uh, the adrenaline rush, I should say, of putting that together and then actually seeing it come to life and that it was something that we would, you know, put our stake in history, that we were the first ones to do that for them. But then also that it did, it was able to like bring a younger demo that is now like they know about MLK Weekend, but for them to actually get the history and to be able to use the technology in it, that was just like, uh, that's one of those, those highlights for me of being able to, to pull that together and bringing just new people to making them like building bridges. So all of that, it just covers all my core values. So that was probably one of the most fun and exciting projects that uh, I worked on from an innovative perspective. Next question.
1: Next one comes to us from Mitch Hill in Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, I guess it's for me. It says, Bill, there's a rumor you're getting a new computer this month. What is it and how do you intend to use it? Yes, that is true. Uh, Go <laughs> ahead, <have> been Bill. <laughs> limping along with an Intel MacBook Pro, which has been fabulous. I've gotten, boy, the value I've gotten out of that because I've had it for almost three years, back a little more than three years, and it's worked fabulously. But it was time to rev. I couldn't wait any longer. So I ordered an M2 Max laptop with. Let's see, it's got 12-core CPU, 30-core GPU, 16-core neural engines, 64 gigs of uh, memory because I don't really need more than that because I'm using NVMEs attached to it for any extra stuff, and that I find is a little more flexible. I probably should have bit the bullet, but there was a big bump in price between that and the next level of memory, and so on and so forth. So it should be here mm, somewhere around in the last week of the month. Uh, it's coming, I guess, built to order from China. So uh, it's going to be here around the
0: 28th or something. Exciting, yep. New toys. <laughs> we look forward to that next question.
1: Next question comes to us from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. What challenges do home workers over the age of, age of 65 face and how can they position themselves to make the most of the job market? And what are the opportunities?
0: Go ahead, Nigel.
9: Lots of questions there, maybe a whole show. In fact, uh, I would think the number one thing uh, in this area is the technology is understanding how to look good virtually. And so anything any of us can do who have skills to help people uh, work out how to get a better picture, better sound, I-, I see that when I interview people, it makes a huge difference. And I think uh, there's a lot more opportunities to work from home. There's a lot more opportunities to work virtually, but we've got to make sure people have the access and the skills and the technology to make them look as good as anybody else. And Ken? Uh, Nigel nailed it. It's about um, if he can look good on screen,
6: if he can look good on Zoom, um, you know, that will take you a long way there. You know, a professional setup, a professional look, you, you just, you will kind of, kind of command the room. So uh, that's what I would focus on. It
0: sounds like there could be a, a- consulting area for for folks, because I know even during the pandemic, just even having to communicate with my parents and trying to help them get through that, that's just that's a whole space in and of itself, as Nigel said. And speaking of space, producers, feel free to go ahead and to submit your questions for us on this Juneteenth holiday here in, uh, in the US. And then let's get into those questions.
1: Next one's from Mitchell Hill in Wilmington, Delaware. Again, this time, Mitch asks, can we talk a bit about Saturday's new show featuring accessibility awareness and etiquette?
0: Alex.
3: I think it was really groundbreaking. I, I you know, I think that there was a lot of stuff that was true that we were trying to, we had to come together with. We had a couple, uh, a couple different hosts or a couple different guests that were coming in. Uh, we had, uh, we had never had um a a deaf panelist so we had deaf panelists as well as um asl that were part of it so the panel and what i was amazed by was how smoothly that worked like i was like oh i don't know how this is going to turn out but i think that um but i was really excited about trying (laughs) so i was like we're gonna do it anyway and um i just thought it was it was kind of a magical morning like it was really we had we got this we got the the um you know, we were able to talk about some of those issues. We were able to work it out. I think the back-end team did an incredible job of getting people ready to go, um, of making the changes that were required because we had a, the stream had an ASL window. It's the first try. We're going to keep on working on making it even look better than it did. But it was very clean. Uh, it worked very well. The, the show was very seamless. Um, and I was, uh, I was really happy
10: with the result. Harshid. I'm going to give it back to the producers as you, Mitchell has produced this question as well for us. Uh, the producers ran the show, right? And I love that we had our guests on and we showed that there's a group of people um, that may be in the hearing loss position. They might be in the vision loss position, uh, mobility, you know, there's there's just so many variants of disabilities and having a conversation together and making sure that we're bringing the next best thing on the table with office hours, I think, was the element that put everything together. Uh, Everyone was a little afraid with the topics, but again, we all want to strive for the same thing at the end of the day, is to have access, as everybody else is having access to the same information. So, I think that we really ran a good show. Everything was really nice and smooth, and conversationally, we got to learn from each other. And... uh, the The title might have not been depicting the exact, uh, you know, thing that you might wanted from it with the etiquette part, but it was the etiquette when we, if you look at the bigger picture, because we all were able to have a conversation together and nobody was left behind.
0: And Mitchell.
8: Yeah, I want to plus one what Harshie just said. And of course, what Alex said, it was, it was a mind expanding experience for me, um, I, I'm sorry to say that it wasn't something I normally would go and uh, listen to, but because I was reading, I was there, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So my recommendation to anybody uh, to take advantage of the fact that uh, for the next uh, seven weeks or so, uh, here's a chance for you to learn something about another world you may not uh, know exists and to be a better citizen in it. And Alex.
3: Yeah, one of the things that we're going to be doing, in, in addition to just having Great guests on talking about all every different aspect that we can find in the next seven weeks um, of uh, you know you know of of accessibility. We're going to also be experimenting with how do we make the show itself more accessible. So it's a bit of a lab for us. It's an incubator. We hope to keep on doing the show either weekly or monthly after the after we finish the summer. So this is really us sprinting forward and then and trying to figure out over the next couple weeks how to do it. And I thought that. We we started out way better than I expected. <laughs> like it was just a lot of changes to our pipeline, and um, and so I think that it's going to be a great summer on Saturdays.
0: It looked really good, and also just knowing this this format for the past three years, and then to see different people that have not necessarily been on the panel previously being able to participate, it was yeah, it was exhilarating.
3: I, yeah. I, I think that one of the things that's really interesting is that that we. Uh, I think that the McConaughey made it a lot easier as well because our, our panelists were able to read the questions. They were able to be kind of they they would have something to refer to. They were able to raise their hands. So there wasn't. I think that there's a there was an issue there that I didn't I hadn't thought of of the advantage of getting everybody on that playing field was was I think really really useful. Um, and so I think that and and I think we're already thinking about things like how do we stream in nine by 16 with the with the interpreter below and the person speaking above and you know like i, I think that we're, we're, we're going to think about different formats as well
0: and jason
2: yeah just abstractly it occurs to me that that technology has this promise of of you know democratization of information and it is incumbent upon us to to like actually be sure that it is it gets to fulfill its promise and, and And the
3: only thing I'll say there is that I don't think most people when you're doing these you know you're adding adding this to an already built production and very few companies have the time or 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 money or they don't expend that to try to figure out how to take it to the next level and so one of the things that we're we're hoping to do is use these eight weeks and then go into next year. how do we keep on just turning that volume up like how do we make it um, you know, like figure out the best way to do these and, and what are the best practices and potentially build a show that incorporates all of those at one time, um, multiple languages and, and uh, audio description and, and ASL and all the things that, that would make it interesting. And I think that that's gonna be an interesting um, challenge for us. And I think we're, we're pretty excited about it. I'm really excited that we, we took it on.
0: Next question.
1: Cindy Drosda of Erie, Colorado, is up next. I want a live stream from an in-person wood turning trade show. I need a browser for Streamyard, front and back cameras, a mic and in-ear for me, and a mic for the interviewee. The iPad would work if I could get two mics in and a speaker out. Any ideas? Go ahead, Alex.
3: So you can get two mics in and a speaker out. I I don't know if I, that's the way I would do it, but you can um, make that actually work. Uh, the um, w- using the USB C that's at the b- if you have a USB C and even if you have a, a Lightning you can make it work you can work with an external interface so many of the USB based external interfaces the one that we've used in the past has been the uh, MixPre uh, it's a very expensive one not the MixPre but the uh, USB Pre Two <laughs> this is the one that we use mostly for this but there's many less expensive ones that are that are usable I just don't know how to make, dial them in um, but they have the Mix MixPre Two for instance has two outs and two ins. Um, you can definitely have uh, multiple mics going in, multiple uh, audio going out, uh, and and there's a lot again, many interfaces probably sub three hundred dollars that you can get. Um, a lot of times you want them to be powered separately so that they're not pulling power from your iPad, but that should get you the audio in and out. I would strongly consider, given what you're doing, um, really thinking about uh, also, I mean, considering uh, you know things like a Link Link 360 or or OBS Bot or something where you have little PTZs that you can kind of move around and look around, but it, as a really quick setup, I think that the um, the iPad would, would work well.
0: And then Mickey just said in the chat, why would you need a speaker out? Will you be inter- um, interacting with others? If so, use in-ears, not open speakers. Yeah, I agree with that. Next question.
1: Khalid al Jamaya in Hassa, Saudi Arabia. Hey, guys. Have you seen the camera motion system from PT4, the iexpoaxibo.com. This is something you may be interested in. The company will also release an affordable robot arm by the end of this year, called the E-Jib Mini, and he's got a link to that axibo.com. Courtney, your thoughts? Well, I
4: took a look at it uh, on their website. It looks like if you're, you're looking for repeatable moves, maybe it, it will do that. It seems to be battery powered. It has these little Sony batteries over here on the on the right side. Uh, It's designed primarily for a pretty lightweight camera, so a DSLR or, you know, at most, maybe a Blackmagic uh, Pocket Cinema, Um, and I I suppose it does uh, repeatable. It does have a uh, a slider that's available for it. So it looks like you could slide a couple of feet like that on it Um, for something doing motion control depends on what you're doing. I think it'd be great maybe for tabletop photography of food if you're a food photographer doing a lot of uh, getting some motion into uh, tabletop photography would be good for that. Um, I don't know. I'd be afraid to show up on the set and they would say, Oh, I have this great robotic camera. Can you put the teleprompter on it? No, it's not going to work for something like that. And of course it's going to be moving. And and I'm not sure exactly. uh, I didn't see any type of connections with the camera as far as controlling. um, You know, it has an outboard zoom and focus, uh, Uh, package for it it comes it's very much piecemeal you add you start with the basic package and you add you know remote focus remote zoom remote control of the lens i don't know if you have remote control of the camera itself with monitoring everything else on it uh, which is usually required for a you know a a uh, robotic repeatable remote camera so you don't have to touch the camera because you can knock it off if you're trying to do repeated moves you could easily upset the position of it uh, because it's such lightweight and so small, you know.
0: Alex?
3: Yeah, as they've done development, uh, this has come up a couple times in office hours, so we'll see if we can get them on. Um, I think that it's a really interesting product. Uh, it, looks, it looks, it it, looks, it's kind of in the some of the DJI stuff that does similar things and um, this one, but this one looks pretty robust. Um, we've used a lot of these for mostly product shots, and um, we do do it live oftentimes because, uh, if we've done a, we've done a couple where we did a launch of an auto, an item and we pre-program all the places that that camera has to be to show different parts of that item, and oftentimes we're animating both the the camera as well as a turntable that sits underneath that that item, so the, the item rotates to where it needs to go the panel and then they can sit there and draw on it or talk about it and and, and so um, the, for those kinds of operations it can work. My big question will be is how does it interact with external uh, controls. So, can I make it part of a system, or is it is it remote? Is the remote kind of closed? So, um, being able to take external um, things would be inter- interesting to me. But it does look like a pretty, um, pretty robust and and a pretty slick camera. So, I'm I'm definitely interested in seeing if we can get those guys on.
0: Next question.
1: Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas, up again. The Tour de France cycling event is coming in July 1st for three weeks. What are the best ways to watch it and get the inside scoop on the team's writers and the behind the scenes stuff?
0: Go ahead, Ken.
6: You asked for the best. The best way is the way I'm going to be doing it. We'll go to the motorhome RV. You have to go the night before for the stage because they closed that road off and watch it live, which I'll be doing. And, um, where they have a Starlink, and then you can watch it on TV? So you can see see the rest of the tour. So that's the best way to do. It.
0: Mitchell,
8: yeah, it's quite the spectacle. Uh, we did our version of Tour de France here called Tour du Pont uh, in Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, there's so many moving parts to it. One of the things is a place called Monkey Hill, which any Tour du Ponter or Tour de France person would know. Uh, it's a Belgian block, very steep hill. Uh, that I can see right from where I'm sitting right now. And uh, that was where most of the exciting moments happened. But um, it definitely requires, like uh, Ken said, some type of multimedia enhancement because it's so big in so many places with so many uh, interesting moving parts. You need a little bit of both. And it's I guess that makes it a hybrid
0: event. Next question.
1: Next one comes to us from Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia. How close are we to finalizing and releasing the updated Fenwick Framer? And, the most important question of this, how
3: much smaller will our heads need to be?
0: <laughs> Alex?
3: You know, I, I think that uh, uh, we are, I, it's up to Chris, to when we're going to release the new Fenwick frame, it's his frame. I know that I'm using a slightly, uh, I use a slightly adjusted version of the Fenwick frame that is smaller. Um, and so, and I've, I have submitted it to Chris for, for his uh, consideration. Uh, mine's about 15% smaller than, it, than, than the current Fenwick frame. Um, and uh, the, and I, we have, I feel like it, it looks a little bit more natural on a large screen. Uh, so the, the, the main feedback we got was that on, when you're watching us on a, on a on a full 65 inch, 70 inch TV, that many of our heads looked unnaturally large, um, and so there was a request to make it look a little closer to TV. So that's that's exactly why we're 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 making some of those adjustments right now. Um, and so i've I've needed to make that I've needed to, I needed to make another guide other than the Fenwick frame for some clients so that we could we could normalize their heads at that slightly smaller size. And so um, I have submitted it to Chris for his appro- his approval and his uh, submission, um, but I have a, a slightly different framer that I'm that I'm using. That's again about fifteen percent smaller
0: than the current one. Go ahead, Bill.
1: When it goes smaller, mark my words, people will still start leaning in and st- Leaning in, it's a factor called Noggin creep that is just very disturbing.
0: <laughs> next <laughs> well, question oh go yeah, ahead I mean, The
3: thing is, it, it's just like what we need is like this little like what like it's like a what, what we need is to have a, an app a zoom app that goes that, that that tight that pulses red when you get when you when you lean in it just goes
4: <laughs> you know like like it's
3: like tapping a wall it's like Dunk, and then you pull back a little bit and then you lean in again and so that's that's going to be the the next thing yeah next question
1: Douglas Carmichael, recently there was a test where a remote A1 mixed a TV show with 170, uh, 175 milliseconds latency. Wouldn't that be excessive with shows, particularly music shows, where the mix changes quickly, and he's got a link to the test?
0: Courtney?
4: And probably not. Uh, that's only about three frames, three and a, three and a percentage of the next frame. Uh, I got used to mixing uh, listening off of tape playback off of a Nagra, which was, you know, uh, three and a half inches per second. that's about one second delayed. so that's uh, <laughs> kind of difficult to mix multiple microphones at that. So I got fairly good at anticipating when to do a mix and you want to gradually do crossfades and so on. So uh, 175 milliseconds is probably you know you can deal with that uh, as long as you're not having to talk live into the uh, into the mix itself.
3: Alex? You know it's it's a little long for precision work, but I think that as as Courtney said, you could definitely make that work in many shows. We have to remember that most of the time the mixes are, if, if it's rehearsed, are going to be the mix for the for a for a music event is going to be pre-mixed pretty close. and it depends on you know what the content actually is. but they don't have to make th- that many split decisions. And usually you don't want to make make fast moves anyway, <laughs> you know, if you're doing if you're doing it. So, so those kind of, um, you know, a mere uh, you know, again, I, it depends on the 30 frame or 60 frame, but it's either three or six frames of delay. Um, I don't think it would be that big of a deal. A lot of times when we work on it, we're using the, they were using VPN over a private network. Uh, if we do remote mixing, um, we use private fiber, the switch or something like it. Um, and then that allows us to cut that that latency um, a little more than half of that.
5: And Javier? And and I think like music shows or, or like concerts or uh, like musicals, or all of that that stuff where you have something with a a, a party um scripted or in this case like in a show you you want you know exactly when the song gonna start and if there is a solo and if there is something you have to go up or down you're not reacting that much you're more like anticipating like a uh, 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 like a uh, musical like a broadway musical you could like actually do it just like reading the part you like just you, you can like learn to do it with the the delay won't be that hard Maybe in something that's like uh, unscripted and you have to react quickly, that may be harder. But something where you have like music or something that has like a structure, you can anticipate a lot of things. And pulling in from the comments, Mickey says, it depends if the show has
0: live music and what type of music it is. I've successfully mixed shows with EDM performances remotely. Next question.
10: Next one
1: comes to us from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. And Paul asks our uh, notes, Reddit is in meltdown. What are the dynamics of this?
9: Nigel. So early on in my office hours uh, life, I heard the phrase, uh, if you're not paying, then you know. if you're the user, then you're, I just messed that all up. But you know what I'm trying to say, that uh, if, if, <laughs> if, if, if so it's free, you're the <laughs> then you're the product. <laughs> yes. If it's free, then you're the product. And I think the reality that's that's come to bear, and some of this happens after Elon took over Twitter, and I I don't want to argue right or wrong, that it's just the fact of life, that Silicon Valley finally hit the reality that having followers does not mean having money. And at some point, these services have to pay for themselves because just an overinflated share price or or value is not gonna get you there. And I think this is particularly germane to AI uh, as we're talking about, there's so many free services today that um, if you rely on them and you don't pay for them, at some point either you are the product or they won't be there.
0: Alex,
3: yeah, I think that when people complain about companies taking a percentage of their of their sales, they should remember that companies take then value them. <laughs> like you know, like they, they value that. Right now, you know, Reddit wasn't making any money off of all the third parties, and so as a result, they just didn't really care about them. And and so I think that that's the real problem there. Um, Reddit isn't. I think that Apollo and other other apps like that are really just collateral damage what reddit wants to do is get paid for by open ai like they want they want money from the ai um uh, folks to 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 do that and so they're they're, they're charging the number that they want because they know that OpenAI and other people building those models really need Reddit. Like they need, they need that access to that on an ongoing basis for them to build their models because there's so much knowledge floating around in it. And so I, I don't think that it has anything to do with, I think the reason they're not negotiating with anybody is because they know they can probably get that number from AI companies because the AI companies are flush with money and that their data is very valuable. So I think that that's probably why they're going down that path. I would, I think, like many things I think we need to watch to see if they're really in a meltdown. You know, a lot of people when, Twi- when Twitter did, made its changes said, I'm going to Mastodon, I don't really see a lot of people talking about Mastodon now. And a lot of people like me were just like, sure, let's see how this goes, you know, like, and, and it was just kind of like, hmm, I'll just see, I'll just see what what, what happens. And no one's using Mastodon. I mean, I mean, some people are using, a handful of people are using it, but it's not any, it's not gonna take over. Like, it. you know, and, um, and so I think that that's the other thing that we see is that, Moving people out of a social network is pretty complicated. Now, the, the the real danger that they have, that I think that that Reddit has, is they they ruptured their relationship, and Twitter has done this as well with their users. So the stickiness of their users, while the users haven't gone anywhere, they're ready to go somewhere. Like you know, like they're they're ready to jump. Um, so you're now in a situation where you don't have, uh, you know, kind of a a really excited someone that's really excited about your brand. That's It's a dangerous place to be. You can ask MySpace how that turns out. So, you know, so if something else comes out that's better, they have a lot, both Reddit and Twitter have a lot of users that are ready to go somewhere. They just don't know where that is yet. And so that creates a lot of opportunity for, um, you know, newcomers. Bill?
1: yeah the services that rely on emotional capital which is kind of how i see reddit and a lot of those volunteer run organizations it, when you scale up that big there's so much instability and i think alex is exactly right about this i mean you know when you're working for just karma points which are ephemeral and don't really have any actual value um it's really easy for people's emotions to get in the way i've had a couple of circumstances where on reddit people just moderators just screamed at somebody for something that they were doing. And you'd never do that in a workplace where there was any kind of economic balance in the way. You know, you could lose your work. Well, if you're a volunteer, there's there's only the social construct and the contract that keeps you there, keep you doing things. And so it has to be carefully managed. And that's really hard to do at scale over millions of people.
0: And I wanted to just expound a little bit on what Alex said when he said that they're really potentially looking to cash in from open AI. And what he means by that is that it was maybe like a month or so ago that Reddit said, hey, you know what? You need to start paying because that community, people are going there to learn how to use ChatGPT, the latest prompts and all of that knowledge that's taking place there that they're looking at, okay, we've created this space and that yes, now we need to actually monetize it. So just putting more context, context to it there. Next question.
1: Mitchell Hill, Wilmington, Delaware. Flash is dead. Long live Flash. For those of us who have been coding websites for a long time, do you miss any of the long gone Flash features? CSS has limited animation capabilities.
0: Ken?
6: Um, In a word, no. Uh, uh, (laughs) We developed a lot of Flash apps. We use it mainly for the programming aspect of it. Animations were the most annoying thing. And thank goodness, um, in CSS has limited them. I think it's got too many in CSS, even. So, uh, yeah, animations, uh, yeah, the fact that their flash is gone is a big, is a good thing because once a user maybe see it, they see it once, they might smile, they see it a second time, they get bored, see it a third time, they might not come back. It's, um, yeah, animations and all the moving bits and pieces that people put on websites is, uh, I, I won't go on because i can talk about this forever but um yeah thank goodness it's gone
0: i agree i don't miss flash at all mitchell
8: <laughs> well I, I thought there were some lessons that be, can be learned from it i'm a, I'm a graphic uh, motion graphics guy and i liked it for that and then i learned action script one then i learned action script two and then you know the steve jobs inevitability happened um i got tired of it very quickly too as ken points out but you know, like a seasoning, if it was used right, it worked well. Um, when I try to accomplish the same thing with CSS or HTML5, um, I find it's a bit more challenging. And it's can you give us an example?
0: Of, like when you say when you would try the same thing, like try what? Um,
8: when you move things around the screen as well as you could with Flash, um, you have very limited program uh, programma- uh, programmatic ways of doing that uh, in CSS. You can do it. But you can't do animation loops and fly things around quite as easily. You can do it, but not as easily. So perhaps what it did do, which is great, is that it reduced the number of people that would attack a uh, website with a huge number of Flash uh, animations, which, I again, I agree, it got tiresome, uh, especially after the first or second or third uh, iteration. But I was hoping that there was something that we could borrow from that Flash decade uh, and apply it to today. Courtney, I
4: don't miss it. Uh, I I don't miss the websites where it, you you know you go to that website and it just puts up a still image and you go well, where's the information? And you have to roll your mouse, go spelunking, and roll your mouse around until you find the flash animated animation for one area of the photo that that activates something. Uh, so I you know that I don't miss at all, and the all the animated annoying rollovers and trying to f- figure out how the interface works, because every single one of them was different. I don't miss that. The only thing that, uh, you know, it did do really well is it scaled because it was vector-based. So you could scale it to any resolution, which was a problem in designing websites when, you know, everything had to be 800 by 600 because that was the medium uh, uh, resolution that most people had at the time. So, uh, you know, you'd end up with Tiny websites in a big area if they had full HD resolution, but Flash could scale up and scale down without getting chunky or or, uh, looking bad. You could scale it down to postage stamp size and still have clickability on it. Uh, The targets would scale down as well. So that was the one good thing about Flash,
3: but uh, I don't miss it. And Alex? Yeah, I think that the hard part is that web designers are kind of like event pe- people like like what we do is that we do things that entertain ourselves um, we don't think about people coming to it over and over and over again sometimes so sometimes you know what you see on tv and what you see on live streams are things that the creators of those you know they've gotten bored with whatever is out there and they're looking for the next thing and they're building it but they're not really tying themselves back to the use of the page which is to deliver the information about the product or the idea and I think that there is this, this balance and I think Flash lost that thread a long time ago. And so a lot, you know, people just got into all the tools that you could use and made them crazy. Like I, I know that if I go to, this isn't Flash, if I go to a site that it's got all those layers and those big images and rolls up, which includes Apple, I just go somewhere else. Like I'll find the information somewhere else. I can't find it there now. Like they've, you know, in, in a lot of places, they've added so many things to the website to make it look quote unquote flashy. <laughs> you know, that that it's just it's takes it takes me too t- too much time to grok the information. Um and so I look for the information now, oftentimes not on product websites because they made them so complicated, but on B and H or something like that. I just need to find the spec page. You know, and I think that um a company that has done it actually fairly well is uh Blackmagic does a pretty good job of their products. I can find the information I need from their, their products. It's a pretty website. Mm-hmm it looks nice, it has lots of information, and I can find my way around it and get what I need out of it relatively quickly. Um, I, th- I think that a lot of companies miss that uh, that um, usefulness.
0: And Ken?
6: Yeah, um, I'm a strike what Alex said. A, lo- a lot of um, website designers design a website for another website designer to show off. Um, you know, the... the so few are focused on what the actual customer wants and them getting that piece of information. judge us to Courtney was saying about scalability. If you want scalability, you can use a SVG file. Scales is a vector-based and it's program and you can program it and it's programmatic and so you can use SVG um, uh, files or images to which are perfectly scalable. So that's the way you get to that. There's nothing, there nothing that Flash had or that was any good that you can't do well with um, CSS and uh, SVG files.
1: Next question. Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas. More companies are looking for ChatGPT and AI experts at the same time they're trying to cut jobs elsewhere. Discuss. John?
11: Nothing more than a reshuffling of priorities. Now the opportunities in AI, especially in the enterprise spending space, is projected to be in the hundreds of billions in the next five years. So significant movement therein, and there's tons of opportunities. Reminds me of when transcription moved from typewriters into word processors, and those people that accepted the technology moved forward, were were, you know, given new jobs. So that, that that's all that's going on right there.
7: Sky. I've heard the term in HR called right sizing, and I think that's a similar concept here as as John just mentioned. How do we repurpose the energies that the individuals have with these new tools? And consequently, I know people are often looking for the silver bullet, but again, the best phrase I've ever heard is, what we really need is
3: silver buckshot. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I I think that one of the things that's important is for us to keep keeping you know as 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 people whether we're producers or not we want to look at this as a lesson in we should be paying attention to the new technologies that are coming out and figuring out how we embrace them not how we say well that shouldn't happen because that's rarely what happens (laughs) like saying that we're going to stop it is kind of uh is, is a difficult thing so um i think that i think that we need to keep on figuring that out um definitely in every industry uh we you know this. You see this all the time with automation, and I think that I think the interesting thing is, is the upset right now is because the automation is white collar jobs, uh, white collar jobs instead of blue collar jobs. We've been using automation to replace blue collar jobs for the last hundred years. Um and you know whole divisions get wiped out and we don't think much of it and it doesn't really show up like oh well there's a whole bunch of robots at the at the Ford's thing and that those were used to be people um and so we don't think much of it but when it's white collar jobs everyone's really in panic mode um so I think that we should also check ourselves a little bit when we, when it comes to um, thinking about how automation affects this process um, I do think it's very important it will change the way we look at education um, I think most of education was just proving that you could survive it. Um, And so then you get out and then we'd actually train you on what you needed to do. Um, You're gonna have to come out at 22 years old or maybe 18 years old as a near expert in your field. Um, This changes the requirements of public school and of universities. Um, You're not gonna be able to go to a public, uh, public schools need to now or not be public schools, but something needs to train students so that they are at a very high proficiency when they leave high school. Uh, Universities are not gonna be places that you can go and party. And survive the next, you know, the rest of your career. Uh, you know, there it is going to be an intense thing to be ready. And then people are going to need to think about educating themselves every day for the rest of their lives to stay ahead of, um, you know, AI and 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 all the other opportunities there. And that's just the, that's just the cost of of of, um, of that process. And so there's a lot of opportunity, um, but there is a lot of cost. the The upside of that is the people who are doing that are going to get paid a lot because they they're the doing the things that the AI can't. Courtney? Yeah, this has become a point of contention and the bargaining that's
4: going on now between the Writers Guild of America and the producers. And that the the Writers Guild wants to outlaw the producers from using LL, you know, large language model generative AI to replace them. But they also want to still be able to use AI to help them when they've got writer's block or when they need to finish, you know, uh, for a take a creative direction and a script story at, it, uh, it can come up with a different creative idea, which they can then elaborate on. Uh, so they, they want it and then they don't want it. They don't want the producers to have access to it, but they want to have access to it and it's become kind of a, a digital, a stumbling block in the negotiations,
1: right? Bill. So I came out of the business world kind of with one thing in the back of my mind. The three big costs of operating business, you got capital costs in the beginning, you got operating costs, day-to-day stuff, but the last one and the monster is labor costs. It is probably the most controllable level. Uh, if you think Wall Street really needs you to be more profitable, Cutting headcounts is the fastest way to show that on the bottom line. And it always struck me that as AI and these things come in, one of the unintended consequences may be that as more and more businesses get automated, those control levels aren't going to be there. So people are going to have to shift their attention to something else. If you've replaced removable headcount in the form of people with machines, where are the levels for moving profit for a short-term period of time to meet goals? Are you going to have
2: one? It's going to be an interesting change. Jason? Uh, this question invites us to tumble head first down the rat hole, um, you know, after, therefore, because, right? Post hoc, ergo, propter hoc. Just because one thing happens and the other thing happens doesn't mean that one causes the other. I think that the, that the American and, and better yet, the, the world's Job and labor market is always going to be in a series of, of ebb and flow and flux. And, um, you know, this is just kind of the next big thing occurring as um, another thing happens.
0: And pulling in a comment here, John says, when cars were invented, there were a lot of new mechanic mechanic jobs posted and few carrier drivers, which goes back to what uh, John said earlier, John (laughs) Preto said earlier about the reshifting of priorities. And I think a part of the conversation, the good part of the conversation is the reskilling part and helping people to get up to speed, helping people to understand. And even as Alex mentioned, even with the educational system, education system is helping people how to think, working alongside these tools and and resources. I say to my daughter all the time, and this is before this AI, uh, part of things, but I would always say when she would ask me a question or something would come up, I would say, well, how are you going to solve that problem? Because I understand the need to be able to be strategic and to problem solve, like that is something that is going to take her no matter what industry she's in. So those are the kinds of things when we have these conversations. Well, how can we help people to prepare so that they're able to be a part of this as opposed to that being this being something that takes them out. Next question.
1: Next question comes from Douglas Carmichael. I've heard of industrial robots like those from ABB used for media applications. Would there be any advantage to industrial robots in our industry with appropriate software like Robot Animator?
0: Alex?
3: I've definitely seen this in um, um a variety of motion control arms. In fact, a lot of motion control arms, the newer ones were based on industrial arms that were um, coming out of factories. And so, because they're a lot less expensive to get to build them and fairly precise. Um, The the last time I saw one in person was actually when I was in Cape Town in South Africa. And uh, there was a team there, um, I think it's called Black Cricket that was doing uh, 3D. And what it did is it, you know, it had to do a move. And so they were doing stop motion animation. And what, what it would do is it would swing down and take a photo and then take the stereo pair with it. So it'd go took, took, and then and it would do it again and it would keep on doing it. And they had it all pre-programmed to make all those things work. And it was really, really effective. And so, um, but they were using, I mean, it wasn't even dressed up. It was a arm from a, um, from a, from a car factory that they had re- reprogrammed. So there's definitely some use there.
1: Bill? I I looked at their website and it was interesting to see a term that I hadn't seen before, which was cobots. And so they are one of their areas of interest is figuring out how to make robots that work alongside a person to improve their ability to do repetitive tasks and things like that without entirely taking the human out of the equation. That was interesting to me. I, I wonder how many of us will be working next to robots as opposed to being replaced by them.
0: Next question.
1: Robert, uh, Sabab- sababati I'm sorry if I got that wrong, from Poland. Uh, what mics do you use to capture ambient sound in a conference room when you run hybrid events, and where do you place them?
0: Alex?
3: I think it depends on what you mean by conference room. So if you're talking about a conference room that is in a uh, – if you're talking about a conference room that's, that's a traditional – like office conference room, we try not to have any ambient mics because we have enough trouble with the audio already. If you're talking about a large event center and you're doing those, we've done those in a couple different ways. Uh, Shotguns have been the most, you know, like 416s have been probably the thing that we've used the most on. And usually, um, we either build an XY that is um, in the center to get kind of a field, or we put them on the corners. Um, That has been one way that we've done those. The other way that we've done them is also, um, we've actually used even um, lav mics and put them on the backs of the the confidence monitors, or I think in Europe they call them comfort monitors. Um, But they have those boxes there and we've, we've, put them in there and what we get is what you would hear from the stage um, in, in those areas. And um, both of those have been fairly effective at bringing it up. But we do like to have everything on the stage as directional as possible so that we can fade that in and out as, as we want to, but it is important uh, for the larger events because otherwise jokes or anything that they thought was funny, um, feels like it just dropped off into, the, into dead air uh, if you don't have some of those ambient mics out there.
0: Next question.
1: Next one comes to us from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Summarize how you get set up on the office hours with camera comms, audio, video, and lighting background for a typical show. How long does it take you to get ready?
0: Yes, let's go with the summaries. Ken?
6: Um, When I was back in my studio, about 30 seconds, because I have everything fixed and set. Um, When I'm in my RV, as I am today, uh, it can take a lot longer because there's this thing called the sun and it moves around and adjusts the things. I don't know how you cope with those. You can't block out the sun to uh, do the lighting. But uh, yeah, normally about 30 seconds in the studio and uh, quite a bit longer when I'm uh,
9: mobile. Nigel? Yeah, so I, I tend to power off my studio at night, everything except the network. So I turn on. I wait for my machines to come up and then I really press two buttons. I press one to turn the lights on. I press another multi-function on my stream deck that starts everything else. And then I do the color correction on the camera and I'm set up for my working day.
0: Mitchell. I kind of like the
8: therapeutic idea of turning a lot of things on and off. I mean, I have a standing zoom set. Uh, The thing that helps a lot is having this uh, little Nanlink uh, remote for the lighting. Um, And a Furman over here that powers up my uh, ATEM and cameras. So pretty quick, fifteen
0: seconds. Jason,
2: having just survived the move, I made this as simple as I possibly could. It's pretty much two or three buttons, and this is this is the new the new studio as it stands right now. So it's you know three buttons tops, and that's it.
0: Next question.
2: Douglas Carmichael's up
1: next. One of the arguments I've heard against learning iOS development is that, quote, all of the unemployed programmers will get first crack at the jobs. Would there be other sustainable employment models for mobile development? And he specifically mentions freelance and contract work.
4: Courtney? Well, mobile development is a curious place because you can have apps that are fairly simple that a single person writes from beginning to end and publishes uh, on the app store. So that's one form of entry into that particular area and you're not really competing in, against anybody but it's your idea and your concept. Now if you're just working as part, you know, on a big multiplayer game for example, there were companies will hire contract players just to finish a game especially if they have a deadline they've announced a product and they have to get it out by summer, etc. They will uh, hire part-time programmers to fill in to help finish get the game across the uh across the finish line. So there is a market for freelance uh, programmers that are hired on a project by project basis, but there may not be a lot of longevity at that. And you may have to be search constantly searching for your next job. So finding a permanent job, programming job can be difficult unless you're part of the firm, an owner of the firm or a starter of the firm that does it.
0: And Alex.
3: Yeah, it's, I think it's, getting harder and harder as an entry level to to find a place to go because you're really competing when people want entry-level programmers there's a lot of places in the world to to choose that they're going to pay the same amount of money and have someone that's very advanced at what they do Um, there's places called top top tall is probably the one that is used the most uh, for that i think that um, if you're looking going down that path i do think that ios is a pretty um a pretty good one to look at only because, um, as Courtney said, you have your own you have your own ability um, the iOS apps tend to be more profitable, like you know it's just harder to do a profitable uh, Android app right now so that's that's why i'd probably lean towards if you're doing mobile development leaning towards it most people who want to make profit will start start to ios and then move over um, android has a lot of does a lot of things and people do have a lot of great apps and the android platform is thriving but it's a lot most of it's advertise based or in other they're looking for other ways to generate revenue other than selling it um, and so uh, so i think that you may you may find that the ios development is good and you also have i mean again we we're going to keep on coming back to the ar headset but the AR headset is a green field. And so as a programmer, you wanna really look at that because you're gonna have a bunch of people that paid, probably hundreds of thousands of people that paid a lot of money for a headset, and they're gonna be trying to fill it with something. <laughs> so getting good at those, those platforms over the next couple of years will be, be interesting.
0: All right. We are now at the top of the hour, getting ready to talk about AI and content creation. Thank you, producers, for all of your great questions. As our panel gets ready to, I feel like this is going to be a bit of a show and a tell segment as we get into it, because our community, we uh, a great part of Office Hours is sharing our knowledge, sharing the projects that we're working on, sharing how we use them. And as content revolves in every aspect, whether that be your pitch decks and your proposals or sending things to clients, or you're actually at the the end user and you're actually creating podcasts or reels. We'll see someone is gonna share talking about YouTube shorts. For the next hour, we are gonna answer your questions and share our processes. And I would like to um, start off with Descript is one of the tools that we are using. We've been using it since late last year, but much more heavily now. And we use Descript in the way for our clients creating audiograms for them or even from like cutting out elements from their podcast so that they can use that on social. But uh, I started a challenge out I, I personally how I am using it right now. And I'll just get ready for the back end team. I'm going to screen share here so that you can see um, I started a challenge last week to use ChatGPT as my social media manager. So I put in prompts each day, um, go through scripting with ChatGPT to see if I can get from, I think I started at roughly 226 followers on my Create with Liberty account and using ChatGPT to help me with strategy, to help me with, uh, to, to actually tell me based on the data that I provide. Tell me what to do, and each day we're posting videos of that. So this is using the script, and as you'll see here, we had Kevin O'Connell on a, a few months ago to just talk uh, talk to us about it. And the reason why we chose the script is one, multiple people could be in this project project file for the times when I might not be able to get back and complete something. But I'll show you here, just like even in we've got like our B roll, the different music and assets, and what I enjoy about the script that helps with our workflow is that it has access, like we don't need to necessarily go out and go get, you know, animated GIFs. They, the, the backend already has a lot of imagery. So if I want to put in that, I think one of our recent ones was talking about Adobe Firefly. So I needed to find, it was like a woman, um, on computer. Oops. Cause I wanted to show something with her. Okay. These may <laughs> definitely not have the grade. This is images, but then getting videos so that I could pop them in for, you know, for, from a B-roll perspective and what Descript does really well. What I enjoy about it most is just like even the captions. So if I were, hopefully the sound won't come through, but, uh, let me see. I think, okay. It's muted. So it won't come through. I think did that, did you hear that? Did that come through? Okay, awesome, thank we you. did not hear it. Perfect. So just even you know being able to follow the format of how um, you know TikTok or stories can be put in, but just being able to customize it. And one of the things that uh, the captions even are more so branded for. You'll see the the yellow and the fuchsia. That's a, a lot of the color that you're just using from a brand perspective. But one of the things that I also enjoy here is instead of actually cutting out a part of the video and then actually having to go back in. So you see this strike through that happens right here. So let's say as I was doing the rough cut, then I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's necessarily the best take. Well, then I could come in here and then you see this, the strike through, that's basically ignore. So if I were to play this out, that entire section is gone. And so I don't necessarily lose it and then have to go back. If I was in Adobe Premiere, it actually maybe I would have duplicated a timeline because I didn't want to lose that version of my edit, but here I can strike through. And then if I play it, I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? That actually worked a lot better. Then I can just go in and and re, you know, reignite it, uh, get, it <laughs> get it back so that um, it works really well. So just Descript has been uh, a fantastic tool. And then also, being able to just like share the link out with others so that they're able to then okay, can you quickly review? Can you look at it um, uh, from a client perspective? If this or any other project, we would be able to send it to the client and they can actually put the comments on there. Uh, and so the script is one of the ways that I, I've just, it's just been a great resource for us in using um, it with the auto captions. I haven't done too much overdub yet, which is basically where you would pull somebody you capture. I believe it's about 10 minutes that you would have to take their voice, put it into the script. So then now what you're able to do is you can write a script and then use overdub. So the person doesn't actually have to be there because you already have their voice and then it can actually, you know, read the script. And there you've got a, you know, a podcast podcast episode, however you have it. Um, So just one of the, the ways that it just makes the workflow so much faster. Sky.
7: I was very fortunate to uh, be a part of a large presentation for uh, directing a presentation for a company, and we use the iterative process of coming up with a, a backdrop. Now, I was working with a designer that was doing a video projection on, on the, the big one by one LED panels. And so we came up with a, a dozen different ideas, as was mentioned earlier, in a very short amount of time. And again, also, uh, we were very fortunate because it was the concept. The theme was going back in time to the original uh, iterations of eight-bit graphics. So early days of mid Midjourney had some uh, very simplistic images already in its database. So we we pulled on that, but then incorporated that in the big video wall back behind. I, I have, is, is sharing a screen available?
10: Yes. Yes. You can share screen. Let,
7: Let me see if I can, uh, make that happen for us. Uh, why is it not
1: happening?
0: That's really neat though, to just be able to, how you can quickly just, you know, come up with. The oh, that looks awesome, Sky. Go ahead and talk us through. Well, this. so are you saying that this? Where was this created?
7: Well, I, my my the designer was in Los Angeles, and I'm here in Seattle. The it was for an office in uh, San Francisco, and that is a video wall background. But it was again repurposed in the the boxing of the eight bit uh, design concept, and then he also created what he called L brackets off to the side, which were, again, another design, and then two large uh, projection screens on the left and the right for the audience. So this was used both for presentation, but also as a design concept. So throughout a two-day event, the backdrop changed multiple times to go again with the different themes, with the different speakers. Now, we took the original mid-journey, and then he took it into his After Effects, and created additional moving elements in here so that that logo in the middle would spin and flip and then the lights would transition up in uh through that original still image created a 3d you know video image
0: and with what you just shared, Sky, it really does show the power of using these tools in addition to your regular, you know, creative process, as in, like, that being the first step of just getting some thoughts out and getting it together. And then here is the expert, being the designer in this case, that was able to add more of the bells and whistles and actually customize it. Is that what I heard?
7: Yes. And again, the client is looking to you to bring them something cool, something fun, something unique. And that iterative process was with minutes rather than hours or days going through the creative design concept, because we could just with, again, through the verbiage of throwing words into mid journey, say, well, let's try it this way. Oh, well that didn't work. And you'd get iterative choices in a matter of minutes rather than, days. So we were able to design multiple options for a client and again the the challenge was not to show the client everything. That's your job. Right. Narrow it down to the specific, you know, one or two that you would like to really expand and and exploit.
0: Can I don't know how long ago this was but can you talk about like how long did it take with your prompting to get it as close to what you said, okay, this is something that we can share with them. Cause that's, that's a part of this conversation that sometimes it's like, you don't just put a prompt in and it's like, voila, that's the one that worked. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
7: With my designer, we spent uh, a morning together and then we came back the next day. We, we reviewed it with the the initial client. And then that client of course has to take it to their boss. And so the iterative process that a year ago would have taken probably a week, I think maybe took two days.
0: Copy that. Ken, you want to share your process and what you've been working on content wise and, and AI and how it has, this is a word that always comes out in chat, GPT copy, revolutionized your workflow.
6: Um, well, for our business, it truly has. Um, okay. We've been using, you know, as soon as we had access, we were using it and utilizing it. But it moves so quickly, things change rapidly. Um, the way, for example, we'll um, sure, a few examples, but like for example, we now do um, YouTube shorts or any kind of shorts, whether it's for YouTube or for Instagram. Um, for our clients, they normally produce kind of long form videos and then we would go in and edit them. We now use um, Opus. Um, I, let me share this screen because I can, I've got a version here which I've gone just with Tony. So I know Tony would be happy to, me to share that. Let me quickly share this. Um, if that's being seen, this is um, Opus, uh, opus.pro. You go to. What you do is you put in the link to your YouTube video, or you can upload uh, uh, a video file. Um, so you just paste, put that in there, and then click on this and it takes, depending on the length of the video, 10, 15 minutes, um, it does the process. This is one I did for the show, I did with Tony. What we particularly like about this application, not just the level of customization, which I'll quickly show you, is that it gives a score for each of the um, video, um, of the shorts. So you put one in, it produces, we've seen a producer about this, about 15 um, shorts it makes. It scores it, but it gives you the reason for the score um, which is a really nice which is a really nice touch. You can also put a branding element around it. That's why we why I said, you know, we've used AI before to make to help us generate these, as I said earlier. If I was building an application to do it, they'd built one for me, so it saves us that work because what it allows you to do um, in the edit clip. Part is the branding part of it, um which is a key part for our clients. So, for example, here this is the caption. This is the caption element where you know this is captions that that it pulled out and it um, colors them. And you can change what colors are being used. Um, the only editing I need to do because it spelt my name with one n for some weird reason, so I had to just go in and make put two n's in, which is the correct spelling of Ken. And but this part here the uh branding here is where you can um the auto features that it's already set up with you know are really good you know there's very little need you need to do in terms of changing the defaults, but you can because it auto positions where the caption is because it looks at where the faces and other positions it below or above all of that's done you the nice bit here you can load a template so it gives you a sample one but you can then customize. And that's what we did for Tony. Um, we've given, um, put a template in. So that's the only really piece that I've uh, added, was made a, made a template uh, framing for it. Um, and the rest, but you can, as I said, adjust the fonts, the color. Um, so, you know, you can make it fit the client's brand. Um, and yes, put that in and it then goes off and produces, I uh, said, so the good, what I like about it is the scoring aspect of this. So it kind of tells you what, what worked well, what why this one ranks this well. Um, so, and so it's so simple and easy to, you know, I did a demo with, um, um, for Tony and, uh, and Tulaq, and so showed them how to do it and how they're off to the races. They can just do it themselves. It's that, it's that simple to use and, and that quick to quickly get out because, you know, you can have the best channel, do a great vid, vi- have great YouTube videos, but you need to get the audience to them. YouTube massively pushes shorts. So, you know, you can use this really quickly. So, say so paste in your the URL to your video. This will then produce the shorts that you can then export out. Just download the HD version, upload them to your social channels. Drop it down.
0: How um, accurate has that like for your other clients that you're using it with looking at that, you know, sentiment analysis or whatever the terminology that they use? What have you seen with that?
6: We've seen this to be really good. I mean, we, for our clients now, you know, this is this is a process that we would that would be back and forth and then take time in terms of doing this. We now train our clients on how to use this and then they can go off because for them, it's. You know, it's ease of use and speed that they can that they can get this stuff done and out. And um, as I said, if I was building one myself, Opus would be what I would what I would have built for all them to do it. It just cover it covers all that, those aspects, and we find it really good on that. What we used to use, and we still do use, there's another program called um, Munch. What we use this for now is just for the kind of analysis. This gives a kind of a good breakdown on, um, again, this is the same video. Um, but then it's going whether it's highly searched or um, this gives a kind of a real time score on what's trending and whether on how well uh, any clips that you generate and how well they will trend or not. So we use this for analysis. We used to use this for, for, um, or creation but not anymore opus does all that work for us now um, but munch um, getmunch.com is a um beauty of this when you can use it for free if you know if you're not going to want to if you don't want to use the tool to actually generate the video so i would use this to kind of it does a really good um kind of analysis on what would be you know on on how popular or not it would be or how well it they reckon it would rank so as a ranking tool for your short video then uh get munch but for creation now everything has changed for us we we use um we use opus to do that
0: outstanding thanks ken alex
3: yeah so i'm um, i mean i use midjourney for a lot of fun and i use chat gpt um to to put to produce things a lot of times one of the things that's interesting is in the background of some of the shows I will I don't use the I don't use the questions but I I oftentimes ask them like okay well what about this question like for AI or for something else I'll ask ChatGPT sometimes the questions are pretty competitive you know like it's always so I kind of I've been kind of ma- like looking at that uh, one thing I do do is I use ChatGPT sometimes to generate prompts for mid journey so I say you're a prompt expert and an artist this kind of artist give me a prompt and it will give me a paragraph, you know, a couple paragraphs of description for chat for mid journey that I'll just post in there. And sometimes I get something better than what I would do. And sometimes I don't, so I, I'm still playing with that. The major use that I probably do on a day-to-day basis, I, I have to build a lot of decks. Uh, about different concepts and so on and so forth for work. And I use MidJourney to generate um, images that I wanna use, just little concept images. These aren't the technical images. This isn't how we're gonna do something, but it gives people some way to think about things. And so um, so my big thing is, is that I do a lot of things over a plain white background. <laughs> like that's what I tell it to do, like do this over a plain white background. And so what you end up with is something like, I. Um, this is an example of, I was talking about the evolution of, media and so i started you know i drew a little line here and then i have this um you know this we started off you know carving things in in uh in 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 here and then we had text and then we had print and then we had radio and tv and cable and and social you know so i'm I'm kind of going through that process and the main thing is all of those images are all created by mid-journey so i you know i put those all into you know i just ask so every one of those images i don't have to figure out like trying to find all of those images that are lit well over a white background that that are just kind of fun and don't have a logo and don't have something else and i don't have to pay for them i'm able to build something out that just kind of you know and each one of them was probably 50 or 60 iterations that i found the one that i wanted and that took 10 minutes which would have taken the amount of time it would have taken me to find it each image um but it's original and it's not you know there and then i said oh and then what's next okay anyway then i you know but i but i did um uh sorry, that's the other yeah, end of that end of that slide there um the uh but like I was talking about the evolution of <laughs> sometimes not not a very happy evolution but school and um you know work and uh you know social anyway so i'm I'm talking about those things, all of these images are again on mid journey you know, and so um so I'm building these out as examples of of what I want, and they're you know i I find them to be. Um, You know, it's just a much nicer way to show things than trying to cobble together something that's there. And I'm oftentimes asking for the same style. Um, Here's another example here um, is, uh, so, so you can see how that's kind of fun. You know, you just have like, and then we have, people that are confused <laughs> you know, like, and so and so you have kind of a nice and this one is i think i asked for you know large eyes and, and glasses in the style of pixar you know like you know and and it's just but but if you look at that that just really adds a lot of fun to your and i've never had so much fun doing you know building little things inside of uh, for my presentations i mean you're, that was always a lot of work and now it's like it's a little thing you do at lunch while you're you know you, and you 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 carve up a bunch of things now i thought i'd show you exactly what i do so i i asked these I, i've generated a couple of these and i had confused um let's see i think i did confused geeky person um let's see if i, I don't know why that didn't show up hold on a second here um let me see um uh, i'm gonna go to full screen so i can see what i'm doing no because i'm i'm in a Hold on, I figured it out, there we go. So here's, here's, here's how I construct those. So I'll grab, um, you know, I'll grab something here and I'll pop, you know, here's, you know, a person that's, um, you know, well, I'll grab a couple people here because we might wanna have layers. And so the problem is you do plain white background and you end up with a lot of extra white. And in Keynote, that's relatively easy to manage. So you go into format and you go into remove background and you go, oh, I just wanna get rid of that. Right? And then I hit okay. And then I go to the next one and I say, well, let's go to this other one here. And I say, I wanna remove that background and I'll just go, I need to get rid of that. Sometimes you need to worry about the in, insides. You can also get a little, you can push it a little harder. You'll just lose your shadow if you push too hard. Um, and I hit okay. And then I have, um, and then I have this one and I remove that background and I'll go, okay, I need to pull, pull that background out. And I hit okay. now. Once I've done that, I can have them all you know I can set them all wherever I want them over top of each other. So now you're building like a little crowd scene that's there, and you can grab these and we can say like I would like to animate these, and I'm gonna give it the anvil you know um, and and there and there it has it as as you have kind of a crowd view um another another thing that I you know that you can do is is stuff like I wanted to have, you know, if you look at this one, I, you know, had, and then the person's going to be in a stage, <laughs> you know, and here, here I have, um, you know, the character. I probably could have cleaned up the edges a little bit, but you see I added a reflection to the object um, that's there as well. So there's, there's a lot of, and all of these are, um, again, in the, in the style of Pixar. And I, what I do is I ask for the background and the foreground in the same style, you know, like that, you know, that they're, they're going to be, and, and so you end up with things that kind of feed into each other. Um, but I, I, I do, this is how I build my my decks now, <laughs> because most of mine are conceptual. Um, and then I, I'll i show things that are screens or things that we're going to do. But when I'm describing how, if I'm doing demonstrative um, uh, information to get people to think about ideas, it, I mean, it's trans, it's revolutionized, as, as Ken would say, it's revolutionized what he's done. It's really revolutionized what I've done with keynotes uh, because of that. And with the fun animations that you can add, you can really give them, it makes them a lot more interesting to watch when they're fun and 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 again trying to find all of those illustrations and have them all feel like they belong together in stock in stock photography would be almost impossible i mean you really you know you need to you know by by finding certain styles that i want that i like um, and having the entire thing rendered as those styles and being able to adjust them has been it just makes making documents a lot a lot more fun because I make the, the the text that you saw on on most of the slides is about as much text as I use for my documents.
0: What <laughs> so, kind so, so. of response have you have you gotten from from people just? engaging with your presentation. Uh, you know,
3: sometimes it's a little distract, so a lot of people love them. I mean, you get these chuckles in the middle of it, in the middle of your presentation when you're talking about something and and people enjoy it. I've had a couple of people say, you know, you, you probably should just get into the business of doing keynotes, <laughs> you know, like building decks for people, like, right. you know, because it's, because I, I, you know, obviously I, I use a lot of animation, um, you know, inside of Keynote and, um, but mostly what I find is that there's higher engagement. So people are more active listening, um, with With this than they are when i 'm just showing them when the old slides just didn 't capture their um, their attention long enough, and so when I mix the other thing that i 'm doing that i 'm not showing you here is I go back and forth a lot, so I pop into the screen I pop up on the screen so i 'm going back and forth and and um, the mixture of me popping in and popping out and and these things rolling up and rolling out just really creates a much better presentation than anything I was doing before and any, and really anything that I normally see people do. And I think that the one thing I will say is that I've become because of this and because of the way I cut back and forth and everything else, like I'm highly resistant to meeting people in person. <laughs> like, like I can't, like I feel like I'm gonna get crippled if I, if I have to actually do a presentation to someone in the, on the, you know sitting next to me. I'm like, well, okay, this is fine. And it's still fun, but it's not the same as being able to have a whole video production system that, that allows me to, because like oh, on top of those things, of course I have my Telestrator, so I sit there and talk about things, I draw on things, I hit open slides, I draw through and it really makes a much better, um, experience than, than what we would do. But the, but the mid-journey stuff has been the thing that has really made it a lot of, a lot of fun. And then, you know, for the non-fun stuff, I mean, non-work stuff, I, I do, a, I, I learned that nine by 19, the aspect ratio of nine by 19 is the aspect ratio of my phone. And I do a lot of lock screens. <laughs> like when, when bored, I make lock screens. My, my current one is a Velociraptor.
0: Awesome. I'm pulling in this comment from John in the chat saying, pushing specialty work down to generalists is a great use of AI. And Ken just showed a great example of that. And I wanted to come back to to just that idea of how using, or I shared this even on LinkedIn a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago when we had, it was a a Monday show, and um, we had polls, put the polls out. And I'd asked Chad, uh, Chad sent the information to me so I could share it on air but it was like while being on air and needing to get the numbers he pulled it together in um, in a spreadsheet and then I quickly just popped it in like I was on the side here saying you know ChatGPT, what are the you know what are the percentages and you know it just popped it popped it out and to be able to just use that information so quickly and thinking of ways and this is what I would you know challenge our producers and thinking of ways like how you can incorporate what kind of tasks that you might find that it It takes you so much time, just like Sky had shared, Um, because even with the experiment that I'm doing, and I should say a head nod to you, Alex, because when we're here on office hours, it's about building the muscle memory. And so that's why I'm like, okay, for these 30 days and I'm calling this social media manager, hashtag creator GPT and going in and working through the prompts and actually like we stopped growing for a couple days. So I sat down and had a conversation because when you're using chat GPT, those are the kind of things like thinking of it as you're having a conversation with someone and having the conversation. Okay. We stopped growing. Here's the data from all the reels that we've done. What do you think we should change and wait, this is really the, what the ecosystem looks like here. The people we're trying to serve and just by starting right now, you might not necessarily have a client project that you need to do that with just yet. But by getting in, because I think the data, and John, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's like of the people in the US who do have access to chat GPT, you know, only or using AI tool. There's this is 14%. I'm going to have to go quickly look at it, but it's like only 14 people, 14% of people are using it. So Office Hours is this space where we're trying new things early so that we can have a stronger idea of how to use it and how to better serve our, our community. Nigel?
9: Yeah, I have a, a comment and then a request. So here's my comment. I, for work, I have to write quite a lot of text and I'm a dyspraxic. so I really struggle that my brain and my fingers and my writing are never quite in sync with each other. So one of the things I do is I use I, I sort of dump my ideas into Grammarly and Grammarly does quite a good job of cleaning it up. and then I then I ask a chat GPT to copyright it. And and I find the combination of those two things, because ChatGPT GPT doesn't mess up my voice particularly, but it but it does, you know, I'll write model when I meant modal and I can't always see the difference. So I found the combination of those two very good. And um, I'm also using mid-journey for presentations, although here's my here's my favorite. Alex, could you please post somewhere? The, the mid-journey request that gets a logo or an image, sorry, on a white background that allows you to do what you just did on uh, on Keynote, but because I struggle to get the right combination of words together.
3: I find that it's, it's anything that I say, comma, over a plain white background. And that was a hit and miss thing until um, 5.1. So 5.1 seemed to, so everything before 5.1, you'd sometimes get it. You'd sometimes get a blue background. You'd sometimes get something else. Sometimes you get a white psych, which had the a, a shadow in the middle. Um, and now I find that if I ask for over a plain white background, um, I'm going to get that. And then the main thing is you just want to say all in frame, or you want to say uh, head to toe, you know, and, and oftentimes I do head to toe, comma, full body, like I'm serious. I want the whole person. <laughs> like, you know, like And, and, uh, and mid journey will still throw a wrench every once in a while, but it, it does a pretty good job of, of that, yeah. Try, try that and we'll, I think we need to do some labs where we jump on for, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out where we do some labs. We, we had a lot of fun with that for a little while where we do a half an hour, hour, and we sit around just doing prompts and talking about that. So we'll, we'll get those going in the next couple of weeks.
10: That would be
0: cool. Ken?
6: Yeah, just to quickly answer it. Um, also adding the word like a t-shirt design um on a white background because then it knows you know something to be cut out. Um it can now produce vectors, but that's a whole other thing. You can now do vectors as a plugin for it that you can produce vectors. I love vectors. I use vectors whenever I can. Obviously flat images is what um you can ChatGPT
3: it now can you can now run and produce ChatGPT's doing that or mid is doing that?
6: Mid journey. There's a there's a <laughs> thing for mid journey, sorry, mid journey um where you can now you can get it to, um, um mm. yeah, and that that that's only just out, and I've just been playing around with that, and that's been really good. Cause trying to trace around an image and stuff like that in Illustrator or something, but now it does a beautiful job and it, it exports out as an SVG file.
0: Um, yeah,
6: changing, right?
0: Changing. All right, Bill. Let's get into these questions.
1: Absolutely. Our first one comes from John Snyder in Reno, Nevada, and his question, since generative AI has become popular, social sites are even more awash with mediocre content. What special sauce do you add to make yours
0: stand out? Go ahead, Ken.
6: Uh, for example, in a, um, a, a chat GPT prompt, yes, you can just put in a simple thing and it will produce a simple answer. It really isn't It's because it's AI, you know, the. Um presently you still have to work at it. Um if I I'll just quickly share my screen here just for a second because I can show you this is a um this is the prompt we use in Chat GPT to get a good um image in MidJourney, Journey. And you see the I'll move on now, so well, has it gone? This is just the prompt. I happy to share that with you um and we use that and then you put that's just the the prompt then all you have to put in is um uh yeah you then put in what you're looking for and then chat gpt based on this sorry chat gpt based on this prompt will then produce something really descriptive now what we've found though with mid journey 5.1 um it's a lot more creative um, Which was fine if you weren't creative with your prompt. So we need to, if you're using Mid Journey 5.1, we use raw because then it's less creative because we want to be the creative part, or we, I'm saying ChatGPT is making us more creative, it creates a more creative prompt more um, close to what we look for. So we go into Mid Journey, we set it to raw, use get ChatGPT. I said using this prompt, which I'm happy to share. um, and you put in just very simply what you're looking for, it will come up with a really descriptive prompt and then we paste that into mid-journey, and that that we find gets really good results. Sky, right over your shoulder is the answer. right up there on your on your
7: on your bookcase, Liberty. Hard work. It's it there's really no secret sauce to this. and the, the if anything, the trick is to think that hard work is is to Alex's point, that's the fun. It really is. So it's in in many ways that if, if you want secret sauce, it's attitude that hard work can be fun. And and I, I will share one piece of knowledge. A uh, photographer from Sports Illustrated said he shot in burst mode because he would shoot thousands of images. But again, he would only choose the one or two. So while this iterative process that these new tools can give us, it's up to us and trust me i just took a stand-up comedy class jokes are hard really hard to write and to be concise and in connecting with your audience and consequently to to iterate and practice and get that muscle memory so that's that's my perspective on there's really no secret sauce other than hard work but hard work can be fun
1: bill So there's, I think, and this is comes from my following, the what I used to call the desktop publishing typesetting cycle when that disrupted everything in printing and the rest of that. Seemed to me there was always four steps that we lived through, and I think we're going through the same four steps now. Uh, First, step one is give it to the masses. Step two is live with all the dreck that ensues from that. Step three is wait for all the early adopters to get bored and move on. And then step four, which is where it finally matures, is to watch the pros come in and begin, begin using the tools with intent. I think the reason there's so much bad content is that we're in step one still and will probably be for a couple of years. Five or seven years down the road, this could be an incredibly powerful tool. And we'll probably stop seeing so much junk and see the results of allowing people to interact with this technology and do really stunning work.
3: Well said, Alex. I think there's a lot of places that we can use it to communicate what we want, but we I think we have to come to grips with uh, content is about to go into hyperinflation. So it's about to be massively commoditized. So if you're trying to make, you really need to think about how you use content to move ideas forward or, or to build community or do other things like that. But selling content or making money off of advertising and content is probably going to be something that doesn't work for much longer, um, you know, maybe another decade. And so uh, we're about to go into the value of, of items because it's going to be so easy to generate so much content. If you look at what, we, what we've been talking about here, um, selling the content as an item is probably not going to happen uh, for much longer. And so I think that that's, um, that's something I think we do have to come come to grips with
0: and john to answer your question uh f- f- what we call like feeding f- feeding the machine in the sense of for an example with chat gpt we try to put in as much information as possible so say for said client or whatever the project is is making sure that here are press releases here's bios here's data on on their the the last months of social media content, like so by putting that information in there, that it really does form more of a voice and giving more of a persona around the the person so that when chat GPT then goes into actually like give us a response it's not as generic so it it has that that pop to it um so that's just one of the ways that that we're looking at that and making sure we don't lose lose the voice uh, of the person while we are using ways their ways that we're optimizing our workflow next question
1: sky gleason seattle washington here on the panel who is using ai inside adobe products and how
0: sky
7: well, they've been doing beta, and again, that their community is being built on side of uh, on the Discord site. It's it's they're doing a lot of iterative. Uh, let's learn together, and to Alex's point, labs, and again, they're not big groupings of people, but they're very interested, and in people testing things out. And again, Adobe, what I liked, and John Preto predicted this, you know five, six months ago is once it gets inside the tools, you already know the professionals to, to Bill's point, the professionals are going to take a hold of it. And I thought the layering was the really cool thing, but Ken, now that you said there's, there's what, what the, the new tool that's now available on uh, mid journey, that's, that's a game changer again.
0: John.
11: If you, if you go to firefly.adobe, you'll see everything that they're working on. to vector is. Absolutely, one of the things that you're going to see in illustrator come out, and that's that's going to be fantastic. Uh, and you'll see it, and L- you'll see it in Premiere, and you'll see it in After Effects. You'll see generative art everywhere, included in every application. Uh, the generative fill in Photoshop beta version of Photoshop is absolutely stunning. Creating stuff on it on an image that's not there is spectacular. It's super super useful. I I've been using that more than I've been using Midjourney.
0: And Alex
3: and I use Mid Journey with the generator uh, in Photoshop. So I'll build a base image in Photoshop, and then I, or in Mid Journey, and then I'll go. Okay, now I need to add a monitor here, or do put something else here. And what the of fill will do in in Photoshop is it'll take the style of what I'm sitting, what I built in Mid Journey, and then build the items that I want in there, um, in the area that I selected. And as soon as they get the the, it's matting is weird, you know, because it just grabs part of the image so that it can do it can integrate itself, but it is building. Um, shadows and everything else. It, it makes that feel like it's part of the mid journey composition that I built.
0: And Ken?
6: Yeah, I don't want to run a parade for all the Adobe users out there. Um fill can be done for free program called Leonardo.ai. They've been doing it for a while. Really good job. We have both, so we know both. So Leonardo.ai you still still uh you still have to get you you start to put your email address in to get registered for it but it's you know it's they're a lot quicker now but leonardo.ai can do generative film it's been doing it for a while it does a really good job so if you don't want to pay for the adobe products um and as i said for example there is also I already spoke about the vector um, that you can uh, vector you can create vectors within Mid journey now so if you don't want to pay for the adobe suite you know there are uh, uh, good ai applications out there that are as good and I think a bit better.
0: I actually just started using the using Firefly and uh, I'll drop a video in the chat. That was part of one of the, the videos we did for the challenge, just showing people how, especially startups and founders, when you're doing your pitch decks, or maybe there's a concept that you're trying to get out there and your startups, so you're doing something that probably has not been done yet that you can bring those words together and try to see if you can pull together uh, a really good concept. But one of the things that I do want to point out about Adobe, which will be interesting to watch as it unfolds, is their focus on the ethics and giving credit and where, um, like if you're a creator and you do not want to have your work um, put into their their language learning model that you can say do not and, and it won't. So I think they're somewhat like they're leading the way and it's something to watch to see how that goes because right now while it's in beta format that when it does become commercially used that companies that they won't necessarily have to worry about that so they can <laughs> move freely in the AI space. So it'll be AI generative art I should say space. So it'll be interesting to watch. So just keeping our, our eyes on that Alex
3: I think I'm going to just keep saying this: that I don't think that the real risk for artists or for people making content is copyright infringement. The real risk is that people will be building tons of content that they that they enjoy on their own and from each other. If you look at TikTok, that's very um, you know based on each other. Uh, it's it's that people will build things. I I build so many things on Midjourney every day that bring me just joy. Like I just enjoy making something that's goofy. It's whatever I want. It's whatever, and I think that people being able to generate very high quality things for themselves and their friends is highly disruptive, you know, and not having to, you know, not having to have a big studio and not having to have all those things. And you're gonna see people eventually being able to take their iPhone and build whole animations with with things and stories and all those other things. And they're gonna, and some a lot of them will be inside jokes with their friends. It'll be, you know, other things like that. It's gonna be commentary on politics. It's gonna be all these things. And they're not gonna need a lot of tools to do that. And a lot of it won't be very good, but a lot of it'll be good for them <laughs> and to their friends and to their, especially if you look at younger kids, you know, being able to grab onto this stuff, you know, they're gonna, and so I just don't know what the, like I look at my, my kids there and their behaviors that just don't watch a lot of TV. <laughs> you know, like so, so I think that that's the, I think that the, it's the loss of interest in, in, in big money content that is really the disruptive thing that's gonna happen here, I think.
0: Next question.
1: Sky Gleason in Seattle. Oh, I'm sorry, Tony Newman. No, uh, Mobley in Noonan, in Georgia. How do we get regular people to embrace AI, or should we?
0: Courtney,
4: I think there's a lot of fear of AI to begin with, especially uh, for creative people, the writers. I've shown it to writers and and have it generate uh, some text for them, and they, you know, they, they, they uh, dismiss it fairly quickly. Uh, say, oh well, I would never, uh, you know submit something like that you know uh but then i had you know i generated a web uh you know a descriptive web page for a person who who does consulting and i just gave it that person's name and you know write a descriptive web page and it and it wrote a very good outline of what she does Uh, although it did attribute uh, several works of joseph campbell to her and so she saw that and said oh well, of course, it's it's completely wrong. I could never use anything like this. And I said, well, let's, that's just one sentence in 12 paragraphs here. Let's just remove that sentence. And now what do you think? And they went, she goes, well, yeah, I guess it's a pretty good description. I could put that on my website. So they're a little slow and they're a little hesitant because of the hallucination. But if you're a creative person, if you're a creative writer, where you're not trying to write a documentary or, or write a historical novel, um, the hallucinations really just add to the creativity of the storyline. So you know, Quentin Tarantino does it all the time with history. So he he hallucinates about how he would like history to be. So I think uh, Chet GPT can can generate really interesting ways to go and can be a great tool for writers to use if they have writing block. They may never have thought of this direction to take a script, and it can take a script in that direction. And they don't have to use it. They can just use the ideas from it. So they start to see it, oh, as a tool rather than a competitor. Uh, So once they get, get their head around the fact that here's a great tool that they can use,
9: not a tool that's going to necessarily replace them. Nigel? Yeah, I think Connie's right. I think you have to make this relevant to somebody. And and relevant to somebody isn't necessarily jumping into mid-journey and doing a very complicated image. Uh, it, it's really learning to use things like chat chat GPT and maybe helping them get a you know a link on their desktop or show them how to use the browser and, and then have them start using it like Google and then start to encourage the conversation. Uh, find something they're interested in and let them build on it. I, I actually have a sort of shortcut on my iPhone. And uh, when we go on a trip, I say, create me an iTunes playlist with uh, top 10 songs that are about video or something. By the way, Video Killed the Radio Star, Trevor Horn's uh, Buggles was number one there. Um, and but and it's a way of making it relevant to people. And once they see the relevancy, they'll start finding ways of using it. Ken? Yeah, Nigel nailed it there. It's relevancy. You know, it's not.
6: It's um, the way that I do do it. Two examples. One very quick one because we've already shown part of it with Tony. So I worked with Tony on um, creating shorts um, for his uh, for his interviews, um, and working through him. When you do, when you when you're showing a a a real example, that's going to help them then that's when they get it when they see it and that so it's it's you know find out what an issue what issues do they have and then using um the knowledge you have about ai to to help show them well, look here's how you can use this tool to help you know to to um to help you and so that's like for example, I did it with Tony, and now Tony's just running with it and can produce his own short. So that's the way around it. Kind of get rid of the jargon or the mystique around it or because the biggest piece in the news is anything negative, because you know, negative news sells. So there's always going to be negative news about it. So you put it in context for an issue that they have and work through that issue with them and show how this can be can provide a solution. That's the way that you, uh, you get um, general folks to... To start using the tool to help them,
0: Sky. Uh,
7: historically, I had some friends that went to Jerusalem and they came back and they told the difference between the guides showing them a historical site versus a traditional site. And again, that's where these these things that that change are what people get a hold of. And I think one of the biggest techniques to for for Tony would be. From the mouth of the guy that's the co-founder of at least MidJourney, he said, "If you are an illustrator, you will probably hate me, but if you are an artist, you will probably en- enjoy this experience." Just as Alex says, he now spends his lunch times just creating things. So this is a this is a new opportunity to be creative. To the point that I looked on MidJourney's website, and it it started what less than a year ago. It's now got seventeen. Million members and actively, one million five hundred thousand people are being creative right now. So, as a creative outlet, we're being given opportunity that we didn't have before.
3: Alex, yeah, I, I just think that I'm, uh, for me, I don't really worry about trying to persuade people to do anything. I just mostly do things that I'm excited about and show it to them. <laughs> like, and they'll either get it or they won't. And some people will get it and some people won't. Um, but I, but I think that it's a it it is something that really empowers people with ideas without skills. You know, so they have ideas of things they want to express. Um they don't have necessarily the skill to execute those. Um but they but they want to get them out there and that might only be the groundwork for bringing in people with skills to to do what needs to be done. Um but I think that that's the that's the thing that's kind of exciting which is what we saw in TikTok and other things where people are you know, it's not the prettiest. They, they have all these little effects. It's not, it doesn't look like a feature film, but it allows them to express a funny idea for the next 15 seconds or 30 seconds. Next question
1: comes from Sky Gleason here in the panel, Seattle, Washington. What other web nests are people using? I subscribe to nightcafe.studio and runwayml.com. Are there other nests around?
0: Go ahead, John.
11: I sent Sky the link. We have a highly, highly curated list. Uh, it's on Google's sheet, so I can share that out. Uh, but these are all apps that we've been using and that we trust. There's about two dozen new apps coming out a day. Most of them are clean show. Uh, but these these are apps that that are highly curated, and I'll share that with the group.
0: And just a quick note for anyone who's wondering, Ness are a collection of AI services in one place. So that was coined by, by Mitchell. Go ahead, Sky.
7: He, he gets on and he says, oh, by the way, that was a joke. So nests is a word that we may have watched be birthed right here in front of us. I don't know if, if it's called a nest or not. I'll, I'll let Alex help us de- define
3: the future words. No? I don't have, I, I, this is the first time I heard it.
7: Oh, well, <laughs> so, it's just, it's a collection of AI tools. That's because
3: he made it up. <laughs> yeah, well, it great, dude. So let's define this again. Let's read it out. What is what is a nest? So for?
0: what I have here is Nests are a collection of AI services in one place. So to John's point, he's got uh, the list or the collection of um, AI uh-huh. tools and services that he has so. The, the nest. So that's, that's
3: okay. All right. No, we, well, we now don't, have, we, we have, now we just have to keep on speaking it out into the world and, uh, like
0: we'll the Friendwick Framer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go ahead, Ken.
3: Yeah. There
6: are, there are, John said there are dozens a day new AI tools coming out. What the one place that I follow, um, is a website called, um, uh, future tools.io. Um, they, he creates, curates them um, he's now almost become an authority on on air with people sending him new stuff uh, he does a newsletter every Friday where he kind of um, you know hones down to what he believes are the good ones but you can sign up for free at, um, on FutureTools.io, dot um, io or the other way you can do it you can do it in um, ChatGPT. use one of the um there's an ai tool for that that's one of the plugins and so if you have a thing that you're trying to work out you can ask them, what are ai tools are can help me with x and it will then list um the ai tools that can uh, that can do that's out and doing that but futuretools.io is the place to go to sorry
0: no sorry worries next question
6: Robert Sababedi in
1: Poland. Any suggestions for on a better AI copywriter than Jasper? I use Jasper, but I was wondering if there's anything better that you use. And can you share your experience?
0: Ken, go ahead.
6: Yeah, we use ChatGPT, ChatGPT 4. Um, for the copywriting part, where again it's all down to the prompts, um, the quality of the prompt. We feed in to it a good example of the copy. From a you know the sort of copyrighted style that we want, and we put that in, and then we do it the other way round. Um, what Nigel was saying, we put it into that, and then we put it into Grammarly, because um, you know so then it, uh, Grammarly. We then at the end of what once we get ChatGPT to output, it's um, uh, then we put that into Grammarly to to clean up that copy.
0: John,
11: GPT three came out twenty twenty. Their API came out shortly thereafter. Jasper and Grammarly both used have been using that 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 API for years. There's a great story of the CEO of of uh, Jasper and and when they released ChatGPT in November, there was a there was a little a little bit of a strife going on there. Um, they've got they've got access to the model. The model four is super expensive. Is if you're using the API. And so that's the reason why we use ChatGPT4 for $20. It's the best value, but I have to tell you some of the results I've been getting out of BARD lately have been superior to what we're seeing on GPT-4.
0: Next question.
1: Next one comes to us from John Snyder in Reno, Nevada. What copyright considerations do you follow when creating content for clients?
0: Courtney?
4: Well, copyright is kind of a moving target right now. It's being, uh, there are several precedent lawsuits being filed. Uh, I don't think you have to worry very much because currently the uh, intellectual property laws consider that uh, large language model generated stuff or uh, uh, visually generated stuff like Mid Journey uh, that are not created by human beings are not copyrightable. So you can't claim copyright to it to monetize it necessarily, but anyone else, you can put it out there and not worry about being sued directly by people who say, well, that looks just like something I designed back in 1922, you know? Uh, But uh, the, the, uh, the people that are being sued for copyright infringement these days are the, are the uh, people that are creating the large language models that are using those, um, copyrighted images for training the model, and they will be the ones that will be receiving the lawsuits. Eventually, they'll be licensing that information so that they'll pay a fee like ASCAP or BMI, and they'll probably pass that fee along to you if you're going to use the generative AI to generate stuff to be used commercially. You will probably have to pay just a general fee that goes into a Uh, an aggregated copyright fund that is then paid out in forms of royalties to the people whose images were used in the model. So that's probably the direction it's going. I wouldn't worry about it now, and it's not likely you will be sued directly.
0: Okay. And one of the things that I have been doing is just making sure that whenever, it's really the first phase, so it's like a draft, and then making sure that we go in, and we rearrange, and, and make it good, and then hand that off to the copywriter, who then polishes. It. And then also putting it through plagiarism checkers, like that first draft, putting it through plagiarism checkers, and then going through that. So um, ChatGPT, plagiarism checker, reword, uh, rewrite the copy, have the copy editor send it off to the client for review, because typically they will also have their communication teams look through things as well. So that is our process. Ken?
6: Um, really- whether it's copyright or for our clients we we um so we we're heavy users of mid journey we use mid journey in stealth mode so that the um you know the image isn't uh shared um so that's for our clients they you know that that's what we do when we' say we're using mid journey but we're in stealth mode I know it costs more but it's uh, our clients are happy when we do that
0: Alex
3: yeah, I've almost used almost none of it, none of the original footage or the original stuff that I've done. I use it as a brainstorming um, process and less of a, a, a content generation, unless we're using things like Descript um, to, to grab certain things and, and other, I'm going to look at Ape Opus as well. To, I haven't used that and so I'm very excited about it. Um, but that's all based on your own content. So that's not something that's necessarily generating something new, um, you know, from that process. I think that, you know, I think that we're, I think as Courtney said, you're probably per- fine to use the stuff right now. You won't be able to copyright it, but you also won't probably are not going to be liable to it. And it's really unknown whether they're going to be able to win those cases in the current um, court court uh, manner. The way the courts are structured right now, the chances of winning the lawsuits that they're that they're putting out right now are very low. If the court structure changes, but the chances are probably about less than 10% that they're going to win, as soon as they clear that, as soon as they lose those cases, if, they, if that actually happens, you have you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) This is why all the money is going into AI is because they're waiting for it to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court shuts it down, um, it will just explode, you know, everywhere. Um, And so, and if it doesn't, then 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 if it does do it, we'll probably fine with whatever we did until then, which will be three or four or five years
0: from now. And we have come to the end of the hour. We definitely, this is not the one, the last time that we'll have this AI conversation. So please producers, remember you can ask your questions and even asking your questions tomorrow and or in after hours. I do wanna say thank you to you producers for all of your fantastic questions, to our panel for all of your insights, sharing your workflow and processes with us and to share tomorrow, we'll be discussing SPX, Pro, uh, broadcast graphics with HTML and Tuomo will be joining us for that conversation for the rest of the schedule. You can head over to officehours.global and just to say how far we've gone today, it is 54,608 miles. That's 87,882 kilometers. That's more than 432 million bananas for scale, 2.2 times around the earth. Again, thank you so much. And our production crew, for without which this would not be possible. We will see you all in after hours. Have a great one. Bye bye. The live stream
3: for sound devices is about to start. Oh, i can't wait! I'm jumping over. Bye y'all. Bye bye. Happy Juneteenth.
7: It's always it's always a good day when there's a Jordan sighting. It's just, yes. Yes.
0: Again. And a sky More. sighting and an off your sighting on a please. Monday. More
4: please. See you again. See you again. The preceding was artificially generated.
2: <laughs> All personalities are not actually owned by themselves. Thank you. Except for the Courtney voice. That's oh yeah, good. that that totally,
7: yeah. That's he, that that's a one and, one and only, one and done.